Apartment 34 blogger Erin Heimstra sits down and we discuss what she discusses. Decor, travel, food, fashion, basically everything lifestyle. Decor, fashion, entertaining, beauty, travel... Am I missing anything? Um, wine. What else can I throw in there? Yeah, no, really kind of a Jane of all trades. Yeah. If it's remotely interesting, I somehow managed to get <laughs> my fingers in there. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, like, sign me up. It, yeah. it sounds like such a, uh, a fun way to have a blog and to just do your, your thing. Yeah, or have ADD. It's perfect. It oh. really works out well. <laughs> if you want to do 50 million different things in one day. Yes. Do what I do. Do it's, what you do. Yeah, it's and pretty fun. You, and I read that you got started uh, because you were doing a renovation at yeah. somehow, somewhere. Yes. Seattle. So the, the glorious history of design blogging, if you want to date me, which you mm. know it's fun to do. Um, back in 2007, mm. I bought, a, well, actually in 2006, I bought a condo in Seattle, uh-huh. which was number 34. Uh-huh. And this was back when what they now refer to as shelter blogging was really mm. in the nascent stages. So kind of the only kids in the game were like Decorate, Design Sponge, Apartment Therapy, if you know those sites. Yes. They were just starting to get up and running. And um, my friend actually hates it when I tell this story, but a good friend of mine wanted to be an interior designer, but she was not trained. She did not go to school for interior design. So she thought, oh, I'll start a blog about interior design and I can like build my credibility and I can get clients and it's going to be amazing. But she lived at home with her parents at the time because we were in our 20s and Uh she didn't have anything to do interior design with. And so I said, well, I just bought a condo. I'll start a blog and you can be my interior designer and we'll blog all about renovating my condo and it will be amazing. Yeah. And so that's what we did. Um, we never renovated or designed the condo because in less than six months I met my now husband. Uh-huh. I ended up only living in the space for about a year. I did uh-huh. manage to rip out the watermelon pink wallpaper. Yes. That was a plus and paint the entire thing gray. Oh. And that was really as far as it ever got. And then So that's it. Yeah. You never did that. I never and did she become an interior designer? Uh, actually over the course of almost 10 years, she finally did. She now is running an interior design studio up in Seattle, Very um, cool. but life took a thousand different directions in the meantime, but neither of us ever stopped blogging, which is why, um, is she on the same blog or her own No, blog? she writes a blog called Coco Kelly. Coco oh, Kelly. Yeah. Shout out to Coco Kelly. Shout out to Coco Kelly. <laughs> OGs. We call ourselves the OGs. So out of all of these, um, you know, there's so many things to dial into, so, so in the decor realm, or like the renovation realm, um, you've, you have then since renovated or, or not. Yes. No, I have now finally mm-hmm. have um, developed extensive experience in renovation because I, in the last two years, have been renovating a historic home here in San Francisco. So we re- I relocated from Seattle to San Francisco yeah. five years ago. And love it, never leaving. Had to break that news to my mother, poor thing. Um, but she understands, she totally gets it. And yes. yeah, in 2014, my husband and I stumbled across this 150-year-old Victorian um, that just needed a lot of love. Yes. Needed someone with an eye who could recognize that it was actually salvageable. It was pretty terrifying looking. We're only the fifth owners ever, so it uh-huh. had not been updated since probably 1968. And had not been well cared for in that time. Mm-hmm. But we really 
saw the diamond in the rough and beauty dove in with both feet. So yeah. I learned trial by fire for sure. Yeah. And so what, what was the scope? I mean, you redid the kitchens, the bathrooms. We pretty much gut renovated the entire project. We yes. brought on an architect, um, who was fantastic. Poro Designs. Shout out to Poro Designs. Oh, who, uh, Seth Brookshire. Yeah, Seth Brookshire. My good friend. Yeah. Who's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Also our good friend. Love Seth. Really? Yeah. And Natalie? Yeah. That's how... So I knew Natalie, which is how oh, I knew wow. Seth. And <clears throat> Yeah. So Natalie. Seth was our architect. And we reconfigured the entire space. I'm going to see him a little bit later, by the way. Oh, good. You can ta- I don't mean to interrupt. Sorry. You can talk about our project. Yes. He's so, genius. Yes. So yeah. Please go on. This yeah. is cool. So we had to, basically nothing had been updated. So we had to do all the electrical, all the plumbing, you know, all of those things to just make the space livable. But then we also really wanted to take a, that historic home, maintain the character, but make it livable for modern life. So we wanted to have a master suite. So we needed to add mm-hmm. a bathroom. I wanted to have open concept. So we actually took out walls and created a whole open concept kitchen living room Mm -hmm. so we actually took the the house down from four bedrooms to three Mm -hmm. added a bath um took out some very significant walls you know of course didn't touch the exterior because it's a historic house but um what color did you paint the exterior we actually haven't painted it yet that's that's on have you seen the black victorian yes i have are you obsessed i'm obsessed i really wanted the only problem with the black harder to maintain you have to repaint them more often mm, practicality always I, gets in the way i know but i really <laughs> want to do the dark we're holding off though because i would prefer to have some couches to sit on before we paint the exterior so you know <sighs> trade-offs trades trade-offs yeah. and you said you used to live in one of the condos around here yeah i used to live in the mission yeah. um lived in the mission for four years and this house is actually in the bayview oh cool shout out to bayview up and coming in san francisco yeah y'all come move to my neighborhood <laughs> um i love it yeah i love cool. it actually it's awesome so we're very near flora grub and oh yeah that's, i was gonna ask yeah too. super close yeah, we're like flora two grub. blocks from flora grub craftsman and wolves just opened a new space there mm-hmm. a starbucks just opened up Gosh. so the baby's happening you look out come. son should all come down. <laughs> but no, there's actually, if you drive around, it's actually amazing to see, because it was such a prominent neighborhood. I mean, I've actually done a little bit of research. Our house was owned by the Quinn sisters, which is rare because it was women, It was owned by a woman uh-huh. um, in the you know mid-1800s. And there's only a little bit of information about them like in the public library. Um, but they were tied to shipping because that's where there used to be um, a bunch of shipyards, right? obviously mm-hmm. right there on the water. The fun gossipy story about the Quinn sisters is that apparently they hated each other and one lived on the lower floor of our house and one lived on the upstairs floor and hated each other so much that one sister actually had the house repainted but only painted the bottom floor because she didn't want to paint the upstairs because mm-hmm. she hated her <laughs> sister. Uh, but kind of cool, you know, just really cool history. So it's on, the house is on the historic register. And if you drive around the Bayview, you will find actually some spectacular Edwardians, Victorians just tucked into random blocks, some huge ones that have to be 5,000 square feet, mm-hmm. um, some really classic. We're in an Italian eight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's multiple Italian eights just kind of dotted around that. Because I think that because that neighborhood's in on bedrock, they all survived 1906, which is mm. kind of 
amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Did you do a lot of renovations uh, yeah. to the foundation? We didn't actually have to do much to the foundation, thank goodness. All we had to do was strap the house to the foundation. Uh-huh. Um, so that was a savior, but it was so cool that when we opened up all the walls to see, I mean, we have 12 foot ceilings uh-huh. in our downstairs and to see 12 foot tall cedar two by fours that, yeah. you know, don't exist anymore yeah. and nails that were hand forged. Yeah. Like square nails. Yeah. They, square they, nails. That's cool. Yeah. So we, we kept some of, <laughs> some of that stuff, found a couple of old newspapers hidden in the walls, you know, all, oh, yeah. all those little treasures. Yeah. It was pretty I fun. What is I think when people are hiding that. They're like, this is going to pay dividends in about 130 years, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what are they doing? Like, I don't know what they were what, thinking. Uh, they were reading, and then yeah. some guy came and did the lath and plaster next. Like, ah, you know. Yeah, I literally think people some, just like. Um, just went over it because I was in a hurry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Little I treasures. We, I always like to think about this. The first house renovated here in San Francisco was a Victorian. And it was probably a single family, but in, in the course of its history, got divided up into two units. Right. And we were on the middle unit, if you will, and which was original principal floor. Yeah. And then had a lower basement, which was a separate apartment at the time. But we connected the two. So we kind of had this upside-down floor plan Victorian. Oh, I love that. And, and it was a good, a good location, like, uh, well, Bush Street, and like yeah. near Fillmore. So oh, we, we awesome thought it was location. fun, you know, yeah. central. Well, we went to go redo the downstairs and get a master suite and bathroom and everything. And the foundation was on this uh, big, long beam down the middle of the house. You know how the Victorians have the uh, low-bearing wall? It's yep. kind of the hallway. Yep. And so under that, we pulled up the boards um, and the framing for the floor. And it was like every eight feet, two bricks stacked, sitting bricks on top of a beam. And underneath the bricks was sand. Amazing. That was that was like the, that was the middle of the house's foundation, and it was fine. And it was like also you would factor in, or you would say it's um, eighteen, you know, nineties. Yeah, everything says nineteen oh six because the right the fire burned all the right. Yeah, we don't actually know how yeah. old our house. They estimate somewhere between eighteen sixty and eighteen seventy five, but we don't that our place was built, but we don't actually know. Yeah, so that means like nineteen oh six. This thing's teetering. It means uh, it was 89. It's like yeah. teetering. On the bricks. On the bricks. bricks. Luckily, like we, ha- we didn't have that. We did that load-bearing wall that is the Victorian mm-hmm. hallway. That is what we removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to see you know, a massive steel beam go in and all that fun stuff. When you talk about uh, this like decor on your blog or with your friends, um, do they does, is it just me and maybe you who love the kind of nuts and bolts of a renovation? Or do you think everybody on your blog does? I think definitely people who read my site do because they tend to be looking for more of that in-depth expertise. Not that I claim to have expertise in renovation. I was definitely had to teach myself through this process because I had not done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would be shocked to discover how little information there is out there if you're trying. Because we project managed our reno ourselves. Uh-huh. Um, so we really had to learn. I had to learn so much about just the construction process, just logistically the order of things, how you need to plan to make everything work together, how subs work, where you source materials, how just how you bring all of these different components to happen 
so that a project can actually be completed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to say that ours is. It's not quite, but <laughs> maybe in a decade it will someday be done. It's definitely one of those. You've got some landscaping that needs a little attention. Uh, yes, yes. That'll be circa 2017, maybe 18. We'll see. And we also have 27 windows that have to be replaced because they're all the original oh. windows. So you basically can hear a conversation inside our house, like on the street, mm-hmm. which is, you know, special. <laughs> so we need to or vice versa. Those. Somebody on the street is yeah. having a good laugh about something and you're like, turn it up. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. No, that's true. But I do think, people, I mean, renovations are kind of like war stories, right? Like anyone who's gone right. through even the smallest little like yeah. powder room or kitchen or what have you, knows the ache and the pain and the torment yeah. of dealing with construction. I mean, our project, our construction lasted 20 months, uh-huh. I want to say. About 20 months. Let's sit with and that pain for a second. I know. What was... That's all time. No, okay. Yeah, uh, but uh, what was the most painful? What was like the war story of war stories? Well, my case was probably unique because we got the timing backwards. We wanted to buy a house because we wanted to start a family and have a kid. Mm-hmm. So we bought the house and probably got pregnant the same weekend. Mm. So we kind of screwed up on that one. <sighs> um, so I, my, my most harrowing experience in the renovation was when I had to submit all of my light fixture selections to my contractor so that they could install all of the boxes three weeks after I gave birth. Mm-hmm. And that was very... <laughs> challenging because obviously lighting is such a huge component of your interior design Mm -hmm. you have to have your vision for your interior design complete before you can select your lighting but you have to select your lighting a year before you move in which Mm -hmm. i never knew Mm -hmm. before doing this so that was definitely challenging luckily i think i think i batted probably like 80 85 percent there's only like three things that I'm now changing now uh-huh. having lived in, lived in it but because of poor lighting or just didn't um, like the style just ended up not liking the style like mm-hmm. the the, dire- the direction of the rest of the design went slightly differently or this is another my first place where I admit where like hiring trained designers makes a huge difference scale mm-hmm. I am not naturally good at scale and I have not been trained as an interior designer, so there were some scale. I'm the first to admit there were some scale mistakes that were made in just picking the right size uh-huh. fixtures for the space and not being in it. I'm very visual spatial, so if I'm in it, I can like eyeball it and understand it. But if I'm mm-hmm. trying to do everything on paper before any of it existed, not my not my jam. Mm-hmm. I learned the hard way. So we've had to make a few changes. Just yeah. had to do a little convincing of the husband. It's not a problem. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. He got his media room. So we traded media room and embarrassingly large television of whatever size he chose Please say it's over select. 80 inches. I think it probably is. Mass 70. Over 90. Something. Yeah, something like that. And I get my chandeliers. That was, mm. that was the deal. Um, fair trade. Right? I think so. Um... Talking about your experience having mom issue or you know new baby, uh, you have a, a segment called Real Talk with Real Moms. I do, yeah. Please tell. It's really fun. So a group of 
bloggers all, because we all, you know, happen to be around the same age and same life stage, all started having kids at the same time. Um, and so can I ask, you know, that there, there's like a, a group of bloggers. Yes. There's like a crew you run with. That yes. Are just blogosphere blow uppers. Totally. Yeah. No, there is this, there's, we've, the nice thing about blogging and one of the reasons I ended up sticking with it is it's actually a really supportive community for uh-huh. the most part, especially in the design and interiors world. I don't know how true that is in the fashion space, but, um, People are really nice and they love to collaborate and there are freakishly brilliant, really talented people involved in the space. And over the years, attending conferences, going to major events, those types of things, we've met each other, whether Uh we're based here in California or in Austin or New York or the Midwest. I mean, it's internationally around the world. And so I've created these friendships um, with folks just really all over that is so fun and cool. Um, my husband always teases me when I mention a friend. He's like, is it a real friend or an online friend? Oh, I'm my like, gosh. Well, you know. <laughs> some, and it's true. Some of these people I've never met. Really? I only yeah. know them through their blogs, Instagram, all those things. Mm-hmm. But a group um, it was not started by myself. It was started by um, a woman who writes a site called The Effortless Chic, but came up with this idea of let's talk about you know, because blogging the night, the reason I think blogging is even compelling to people is it's, it is all based on someone's actual life. And my site evolved, even though in the first years, I only ever talked about interior design. I started Apartment 34, talked about my condo. That's all I ever talked about. Started talking about fashion a little bit because I really like fashion. Then I started talking about weddings because I got engaged and was planning a wedding. And then I started talking about tabletops and entertaining because I, you know, was kind of building my first home and creating a family and wanting to create that whole sense. So it really does follow trajectory of life. Mm-hmm. So we have the series where once a month we talk about in pretty personal and in-depth ways, just the challenges of family life that you don't necessarily think about prior to having a child. So things like career and childcare or splitting responsibilities between you and your partner or you know, things as, um, not trivial, but less, I guess, less meaningful, but just about like, where do you find attractive children's toys and things that, you know, are nice on the adult eyes and not Uh that you don't want to hide. Not everything has Crayola colors. (laughs) I've become an expert at hunting out attractive children's paraphernalia. Um, but yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun community. It gets a lot of great response and I my favorite thing is actually reading of the everyone else's perspectives on whether like a more a recent one was when should you have more kids or how do you decide you should have more kids and there were raging opposites on the debate of, this is the real talk real moms mm-hmm. so they're debating like on your side or in an, uh, I, everyone posts on their own individual site uh, on the same topic okay on the same day so then you can go around and kind of round circuit. rob and read everyone's different perspectives, which is, you know, always fun. We should come up with one about design. I don't know what it should be yet. Yeah. You're giving me an idea. Uh, and the, so also in fashion, you must give everybody the right tips <laughs> on exactly what to do. Oh. Or if you're, you know. Nailed it. Dialed in. Absolutely. Yeah. And then. Do you ever give tips for dudes or your husband? Like, I what, do. What tip would you give? Uh, your husband, but that, uh, I mean, but perhaps that I could steal. Yeah, 
<laughs> totally. Because we're um, here right now. My biggest tip for men is always buy pants that fit. Guys, mm. particularly, I just came back from a trip to Europe, so this is particularly front, top of mind. Men in Europe are not afraid of the fitted clothing. And it's actually very flattering to wear like skinny pants that are tailored for your body in the appropriate proportions, no matter what size you are, actually make you look better. But traditionally, the American style for men has been like bag, yeah, baggy, oversized. <laughs> yeah. Like, dudes don't like a... tight pants. Wear <laughs> tight pants. Oh my gosh. My favorite video is that Jimmy Fa- I've probably watched this with my kids mm, 18 times. Just a guess. Yeah. It's called uh, Tight Pants. Is that the one with... Uh, Will Ferrell. Yes. Uh, Jimmy Fallon. I got my tight pants. Um, I got yeah. my tight pants on. Yes. And doesn't like Jennifer... looking at my tight pants. Doesn't Jennifer Lopez come out in that, I think? Maybe a secondary yeah. uh, episode, but this yeah. was like an orig- the original. Yes. Google it. Yes, I will. It's great. So you're an advocate for tight pants. I am. I'm digging lots of good information here. Mm-hmm. The what ankle crop. Where the right. Don't be afraid. Like this. Don't get a boot cut. Yeah, don't get a boot cut. Like crop at the ankle. Very good looking. They're not high waters. It actually looks good. Like show a little ankle. It's good on a guy. Mm. And cuffs. Yeah. Cuffing them like rolling them up. Yeah, just a little roll. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Do you think that that's that has jumped the shark? I'm actually asking because I was doing it for a while and then I stopped. No, I don't think so. No, I saw it a lot actually. In I was in Milan. Last week, and saw it on quite a few Italian gentlemen. Cuffed. Cuffed. Um, Looked really good. Do you know what? Do you know "Jump the Shark"? You know that saying? Yes. You know what that's from? No, I don't know what. It's really? From. No. Um, Fonzarelli in Happy Days. Yes. Uh, like Happy Days was going along, doing well, but they kind of started running out of material, so they were on a lake, and they had him on a ski boat, and he jumped over this ramp, and there was a shark that. And swam underneath him. This is the way I understand it. It could be folklore. <laughs> I could be making this up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Get the Google day this. that he that, that episode, it was like you're done. <laughs> Happy days. You've got you've, you have no more material. Now you're jumping sharks in the lake. Like Ron Howard isn't even here anymore, and Arthur is not being able to pull it off. Yeah, He's not able. No. So that's what that's what I think. Jump the shark means. Okay. That means when things are dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is kind of when things... Yeah, it does mean it's when the, things are dead. It's on the other thing. On yeah. On the other side. Of, of jumping the, the shark. Of the bell-shaped curve. Yeah. I'm going to Wikipedia that. We could get somebody to do that. I don't know. No. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, though. But no, yeah. cuffs have not... I do not think cuffing pants has yet jumped okay. the shark. Because if you... If there were be- uh, if there were like boot cuts, you'd have to actually tack them, which wouldn't be good. No, that wouldn't be good. I don't think you should cut boot cuts. <laughs> I think you should cuff skinny pants. Do you remember tacking them? Oh um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Like tight roll. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What else for Milan? Like where? What else, what else did else I coming s- out of there? What else did I see in Milan? I was actually in this um, hotel, getting a little, going away from fashion and back to interior design. Stayed at this new hotel. It's only been open. About six months, they're really targeting the fashion jet set, and it's owned. But it was a house that was a uh, owned by a private family, so it was the private family's home. They lived in it. I don't even know how many generations, and now the children own it. And they decided to turn it into a boutique hotel. It's called the Hotel Sonato. If anyone's traveling to Milan, absolutely impeccable. Only forty rooms. 
They worked with an interior designer, unfortunately, whose name I don't remember, um, but he'd only ever done residential. He had done basically this family's homes, and so they decided to take a chance on him for this commercial work. And he did all, every single thing in the hotel was bespoke, made specifically for that space, and he worked all with local either Milanese or um, Northern Italian artisans to create things. So like um, in the bathrooms, these amazing marble benches and bench tops and then custom little marble rests for your toiletries that were like striated, beautiful striping. Then they did, they worked with a coppersmith to create all these beautiful brass and copper fixtures. So like the coolest toothbrush holder I've ever seen. It was three um, conical pieces tied together, all custom lighting through the whole space. Just absolutely stunning, stunning, stunning. I was so impressed. I can't wait to go back and just stay in this little you could pull him over here, finish that little, you know, that big Victorian. Exactly. I know. I'm like, anyone? there would be vacation all day. Oh, in Milan. So that was really fun to see just there. I think, I mean, obviously in Italy and in Europe, artisanal, which is like the most played out word in U.S. design right now, has always just been the way that they've been. But they're paying even, they're re, this generation is paying even more attention to it back again. Like they want to mm. do the old world style of construction, materials. This hotel is bringing in a food person that was procuring everything locally or just from the people who are doing everything the absolute best, like the the person who's curing the best ham, the person who's making the most amazing Scandinavian smoked salmon, the person who's dry farming the most spectacular tomatoes. Like it was all about every single tiny detail that... That's the kind of stuff that I geek out on. I love. That's cool. I love how you pay attention. When I people love pay attention that. to those I mean, details. I have a friend, Eric uh, Hughes, who runs uh, De Susie Hughes. There's a showroom mm-hmm. here, and he's always talked about you know the artisan, and I think what he he feels most proud of. Um, like, yeah, I feel like I hear him say this is that he's able to curate another really overused word, but are these artisans that make furniture in a way that. Um, are more historic, are more thoughtful, are richer in detail. Yeah. So that's kind of what he's doing here. I, I don't know that it's a fa- uh, it's the whole society doing it here, but it's nice to hear uh, that in Europe it's going down. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's happening. I think I have this debate a lot, particularly with, because I have a lot of friends who are you know practicing active interior designers, and there's a challenge, I think, in our culture, in just our culture right now because on the one hand it's awesome that a focus on design has really increased hello Mm -hmm. HGTV and you know Mm -hmm. all of that but everyone wants to know how they can get a beautiful high end looking piece at Target yes and that's the challenge right is everyone wants to have beautiful expensive looking design but people don't want to spend the money because they don't realize the work that goes into something that's made with really amazing materials yeah. or is hand done or use using these artisanal practices that have been around for generations. So one of the things I'm really passionate about doing is explaining why that matters and trying to help people realize, you know, if you don't shop at target for three months or you don't overfill your closet 
or if you just decide to be really patient, that in the long run, you're going to be a lot happier with a beautiful custom sofa or a piece of art or what have you that you know the story behind it versus you just got it off a shelf. And obviously there's time and place for both Mm. solutions, but especially in a community like San Francisco where people have a lot of resources right now, Mm. I would love to see them, you know, invest them wisely in beautiful design that's supporting. I mean, I've got a great carpenter who's actually in my house right now um, installing, you know, custom wood shelves. And I probably could have bought something off the shelf, but I would have, I wanted to work with someone who helped me source a really unique, you know, cut of wood that I'd never even styled, what I've never even heard of before, you know, hand created them in his workshop, oiled them all himself as installed. And now I'll have a story about where those came from and why they're there and what purpose they serve. So that's what kind of still motivates me and drives me to talk about that. I mean, I've been talking about this stuff for a decade and to still talk about it. That's great. I mean, you're making the recognition that there's a a further appreciation uh, for design, you know, in in maybe the last five, eight years. Yeah. More so, more maybe in our our, um, lexicon here in San Francisco, but the nation as a whole. Yeah. You're seeing more of it. Oh, for sure. Uh, but the, but there's still room to grow, right? Because they're they're maybe appreciating uh, the look, but not the finer details. Yeah, maybe they're appreciating the idea of it, but maybe not the the spirit of it. Right. It's a it's a in our like fast fashion, you know, satisfying now mm-hmm. everything. Sh- I mean, it's I call it kind of the Amazonization of the world. Like Amazon has trained everyone that everything should ship in two days for free, mm-hmm. and if you can't get it that fast. there's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while I hate as much as the next person waiting, you know, four or five months to get my freaking couch, I'm going to be excited when I know exactly how it was made, the fabrics that I picked, what goes into it, that it was, you know, made to measure. I think, I think it's worth, I mean, time is worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I, I maybe have noticed in the last maybe five years that some clients yeah, they it's uh, un, un, they don't understand why it's going to take the twelve weeks or sixteen weeks or you know to to really dial in and, and finish the project, and it it's because everything else that they may be working on. I as I'm deducing that what they may be working on during the day is they're building uh, perhaps a new e-commerce portion of their website or or you know in the marketing team and they're redoing an ad or are expedient. Like, totally. I don't like that font. Change the font. Check. Love it. Done. Yeah. Uh, Instantaneous. Hit, hit the color. Uh, you know, double click. Yep. Dusted. Love it. Exactly. But that's not the way, you know, our world works or our interior design world works because I try to explain to them it's made by man. Yeah. I mean, that guy has a hammer. It's rounded at the end of it because that's for putting in nail heads, you know, and there's another one. There's a, there's a staple gun. He has to reload that thing. I mean, the, the real f- true fabric fabrication is no with digits yeah which is so you know? cool like i'm glad that we have that you know we don't lose that i yeah. think that's it's there's fascinating no, there's no way to automate it uh, except for the outside chance that uh 3d printers really take off yes which i think i don't know i don't know if they will it's not everything not yeah 
not everything. We're not going to be fabricating. Hopefully, we're not going to be fabricating things like the beautiful table that we're sitting next to right now with 3D printers. I don't think so. <laughs> that would I don't think so. Um, okay, so what else? Let's see what's on my mind. Um, well, entertaining. That's part of your. That is part of my part of my shtick. I was going to say shtick, but you know. I know it's not. All, hey, I use a lot of words <laughs> that people are like. Did you really just say that? <laughs> um, um, do you have a go-to dish? Like, if you're entertaining guests, or, I mean, do you, like, was, do you like to cook? Or you I just, do love to cook. Yeah. I do it a lot less now that I have a toddler because mm-hmm. I'm Two still. Old, uh, he's 17 months. 17 months. Yeah, only 17 months. Um, so I'm still pretty smack dab in the heart of the total exhaustion phase. Uh-huh. Um, so cooking, which used to be my nightly kind of release and yeah. meditation, and I had my wine and had all my recipes, you know, at my fingers that I can cook really quickly. Um, that has kind of gone by the wayside, but I'm a big fan of the cookbook. There is no shame in the game of just busting out a good cookbook and making a recipe. Just yeah. requires a little planning, um, but yeah, you know, a roast chicken is always easy. A good pasta dish is always. I'm all about the carbs. I'll just go big on like carbs. A homemade pizza <gasps> yes, is I always love carbs. good. Yeah, I'm all. I mean, I just came back from Italy. I'm all about. You do too. All about all about the carbs. <laughs> um, I really like. I've been doing a lot more brunches recently too. I think mm. I want to make brunch like the new entertaining mm. time. I think probably oh, yeah. speaking as a parent to get past like 7 PM, the idea of being social is a little brutal right now, mm-hmm. but in that, you know, anywhere from the nine to 9 AM to 1 PM stage, like you're awake. The child is generally awake. Everyone's in pretty good moods. So what if we stopped going out to brunch and started like hosting brunches yeah. And having people over, breakfast food is fun to cook. It's easy. It's, you know, pretty hard to screw up, really. Everyone loves a good pancake. Like, it's just, there's good drinking to be had at brunch. Yeah, it lasts all day. Yeah, it's kind of (laughs) epic. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm I'm trying to, I want to actually start, I haven't done this yet, but I'm waiting for my house to, you know, have furniture. I want to start a standing you know, second Sunday of every month, whoever's available, come over, bring a dish, bring something to make a drink, bring kids, and it's just kind of a free-for-all from this time to this time. I think it would be kind of the perfect way to see friends, I'm invigorated to have a brunch. Right? Right now. Yeah, I know. Sounds I get good. hot on things. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And, and mm, I usually probably stick it out um, <laughs> and do it. Um, do you? Are you like get a great idea and it's just like one of the great ideas and do you feel like you ever lose momentum or do you stick it out? Yes, I'm doing that. Yeah, I, combination of of the two. Um, things like brunch club, committed, going to make it happen. The book club I tried to start like three years ago. I started with uh, The Goldfinch, which was that book that came out like two years ago that was like 900 some pages not a good book to start a book club with yeah, not the because no you should start a book club with like a 90 page book yes. because then people will actually finish it actually on good ideas another girlfriend of mine I'll share this with the world because I think it's genius and someone else should steal it is going to start an articles club because there's no commit like oh. you just share a really good article out of you know T Magazine whatever. or People or whatever <laughs> but everyone just reads an article and comes and talks about it Yes. Right. It could be it, politically um, suited and, and it yeah. could be to date. 
Mm-hmm. That was a Time a, magazine. Yeah, that was a genius idea. It's like, yes, I can commit to an articles club. I mean, this is the We're sad state of We're talking about like art. a thousand words. I am there. Yeah, a thousand <laughs> words or less. <laughs> I top out usually at about 375, so. <laughs> That's why all of my blog articles are very short. Because I don't read long things that much anymore. Right. Um, I tend to fall asleep. You must have had uh, some good advice along the way for your blog, or did you kind of compile your own errors and lessons? Or Combo of the two, really, because blogging was so just being invented, really, when I got into it. I mean, think about this. When I started my site, Pinterest, Instagram, and Twitter did not exist. Wow. I had been on Facebook for three months only because my now husband was on Facebook and we had just met and started dating. And so he invited me to Facebook. I had no, mm-hmm. the Facebook, didn't know what it was. Oh, was it the Facebook? I think they had dropped the the by then, but there was a good period where I liked mm-hmm. to refer to it as the Facebook. I sometimes but, call it the book. Yeah. Is there, is there any the book, other one? The book of the face. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so think of, I mean, and now business is, I mean, entire businesses are basically launched on Instagram. I mean, Instagram is its own beast. So I think, can, talking about do you give things up or not, you know, do you mm. see things through? The site is definitely one of those things that I actually saw through. I never quit. And I do think that's one of the main reasons my site even became remotely successful, if you can even call it that, is I just, yeah. I never not, I mean, there were, I think there was a solid six years where I wrote a blog post every day and I never missed a day for six years straight. And then would go and comment on other people's sites and just be super engaged in the community Mm-hmm. nonstop for six years. And I think that's really what allowed me to get a toehold. These days, I mean, people all the time are like, I want to start a blog. What's your advice? Like, I want to be a blogger, not just start a blog. I want to be a blogger. Like, that's yeah. what I want my job to be. And my advice is go get a job. But because <laughs> uh, I feel like you need outside, you need other world experience and perspective to actually have something interesting to talk about, mm-hmm. number one. And... Ultimately, is blogging a long-term career for people? I don't know. Because, and this is something I do caution people all the time, so much of the business is built on platforms that we don't own. I don't own Instagram. I don't own Pinterest. I don't own Facebook, Twitter. They can change the game anytime they want. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, something that you're relying on for part of your livelihood could either go away could change completely. You just don't know. And that's not exactly the best place to build a business. So you've got to have, and that's why I'm very, you know, that's why you still have to, oh, I still think blogs will survive, but I don't know if they'll be, I mean, everyone's on their phones now. So you have to think about, you know, how people are interacting with what you want to show and say and do on this little thing that they hold in their hand. You have to think about, I mean, I think it's, Similar to design, you've got to think about the context in which you're in and what works there and what's going to optimize people's experience, whether it's in a house or whether it's on the phone. And that's where, that's where I geek out between talking about things that I'm passionate about, but also actually thinking about, I mean, my background is in communications. That's what I've, you know, degrees in political science and public policy and worked in politics for oh, yeah. 10 years before I ever even started Politics. My, yeah, politics. Crazy. Like, worked in the White House and crazy stuff like did that. Did you? I did, as an intern. Yeah. Not 
that kind of intern. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gonna be a great story. You get to tell like at every dinner party. It was not fun. that kind of intern. Yeah, because it was during the it was during the Clinton administration. But <laughs> was it? It was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you? Oh, anyway. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Um, that is interesting. There was. Oh, I know. I so we were talking about the nuts and bolts of like the housing uh, renovation. Yeah. Before you get to the layers of you know, what everybody thinks is really fun, like the maybe the sofa and the light fixtures. There's lots of rudimentary, robust improvements that have to be done. And that got me thinking about the, the blog system, or like, w- there must be some, you know, even the platforms you, you mentioned. Totally. You have control over. I mean, what's something interesting that I wouldn't know because I'm not kind of on that technology? And well, that, that's a really good question. I mean, a big piece of it is how your back end is set up and your coding and your development and things like the big difference between being a successful side and not as SEO, like mm-hmm. the driest, most geeky, nerdy stuff ever. But it's investing in those nuts and bolts mm-hmm. that pay off in really big dividends. And it's like the super boring, nerdy stuff. But it's the stuff that you have to pay attention to if you're serious about wanting to create you know, a platform or a vehicle that gets how an much, audience. How much time do you have to spend on it uh, recurring? Like, do you, must you always look at it every three months, three weeks, three years? I mean, you have to think about it almost daily, really. Really? You don't, not the deep structure of how it was originally built, the but SEOs? those are all, yeah, SEO and things like that, but those are all pieces of the puzzle that you have to think about all the time. This goes into, this is why I like BuzzFeed and you hear about clickbait articles and things like that. It's all... It's all tricks to get people to come see what you're talking about. Uh, what do you think about the clickbait? Not cool. No. Although I click on it. Like, <laughs> Hillary Clinton I mean, passed out and you know, her head fell off. Yeah. See it all here. <laughs> and you're like, okay, click. <laughs> Kim Kardashian walking down the street naked. Check it out. We have the photos. Click. Like, of course, you click. Like, it's terrible, but there you do it. There is too much information about Kim Kardashian. And there is entirely too much. But trying to find, try to, I will challenge anyone, try to create a clickbaity headline for an article about design. Not as easy. Hmm. So that's, that's, you know, that way, maybe once I find the perfect clickbaity <laughs> headline about in- design, I will <laughs> consider myself Washington done. interns walk and down the street. Mic drop and just walk away. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then what about this question? This is like what I tried to um, get out of every guest because I think this is super great content. Thank you so much for coming. No, I mean, thank I you think for it's having me. This is so fun that you're doing talk, uh, I, I, For me, it's a delight. I get to sit down with smart people like you and I get to just rap. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I hope I, I said something even remotely interesting. I don't know if there was something. Oh, my gosh. There. We've got it. I can play it back for you. No, it's, I don't. It's good. I'm hearing my own voice. <laughs> you, I lisp. In my ears when mm. I listen to myself, so we're probably in that same camp. But the question I've tried to get out of everybody is, like, what's your favorite room in your house and mm. why? Oh, that is a good... You know, I think right now, because there are very few rooms in my house that are completed. Check. Um, my favorite room actually is probably my son's nursery right now, um, partly because it is the only room that's completed, but partly because... Really, this will be... I mean, sure, he lived in our rental loft here in the Mission for the first 
almost a year of his life, but he won't ever remember that house. It won't be his, this will be his house. This will be his room that he grows up in and he loves it. Like he wants to run in and play in it and he loves to explore. So I think thinking about what he'll think about of his childhood room when he's an adult um, makes it really special. So that's kind of, that's my favorite room in my house right now. That's really cool. Made me think of something. Now I've forgotten. That was elegant. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, I know. So if you just scratch your temple long enough, like you can remember what you were thinking. It's fact. It's also like, can you Google that too? Yeah. Um, That's not true. Uh, So the, um, the part about kind of finishing up at interiors versus doing them one piece at a time. Yeah. Like you talked about, like waiting for that amazing sofa. Yeah. But suffering that there's not a coffee table and armchairs. I go on both sides of the fence. I don't know. Like, I think that, that, you know, the best, you know, situation, and a lot of people are in that situation where they can afford to do it all and do it right. You know, mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, but in, in the absence of that, um, you know, I like to have a, it's, it's not just the kind of what it looks like, it's also how it feels. Exactly. And I like to come home, we move a lot and renovate a house and move and renovate another house and move. And, you know, I can't rest until it's done. Yeah. Like there's art where there should be art and it's like it consumes me and it gets in the way of other projects I have to do for profession. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for me. So... I want to kind of get it to a place where it feels like I can have a dinner party and I can have people over and be proud of the place and I can come home and relax. And then I continue to improve. Yeah. Like pick off as I... Maybe I'm in a unique position because of the trade, but that's like my motivation. So sometimes I... When meeting with clients, like maybe we're just doing um, the uh, a first layer. After exactly. After we finish construction, we do some sort of first layer. Versus the whole thing, but I like to get enough done yeah. that they can like pop a squat. You know? Exactly. No, that's kind of the, the state that we're in. Because we're not, I mean, we had to do a massive, huge renovation on, you know, a massive house. And my husband, you know, didn't get, wasn't involved in the Facebook IPO. So we're having to do this in like a re- more realistic kind of way. And so I am on that phase of like, okay, let's get the base layer down, mm-hmm. have it be thoughtful and designed and know where I want to take it because that was the other big difference that I had to kind of train my husband about but also I think about a lot is rather than furnish design and this house I wanted to design not just furnish not just like have things so that I'm so we're not buying placeholders that was my car I was like no we're not going to I we're not getting we can sit on a cardboard box it's fine I want the room to come together the way it's supposed to come together and if that's going to take a lot of time. So, you know, by the end of this year, the goal is have that base layer down mm-hmm. so we can cop squat in any room. But the art, the additional layers, the objet, like the textiles, wherever the space is going to go from there, that's going to be round two or round three. But that's kind of the fun part of creating a home, right? Is you see it evolve over time. And we definitely have no plans of leaving this house ever because this is taking years off of our lives. So (laughs) this is definitely going to be a long term project. But if I keep that in the front of my mind, then it drives me less crazy. Uh, So that's good. 
Erin, thank you so much for chilling. Thank you for out having me. And the Onyx Table, that could be another be a name, Onyx Table. Yeah. Thank you. This is so fun. Okay, thank you so much.